A pleasant good morning to each and every one of you here at Ebenezer. Uh, it's a blessing, it's a privilege to be here to worship with you this morning. At our home congregation this morning, uh, Brother Steve Good from Strasburg was to bring the message, and I called Brother Steve this morning and wanted to wish him God's blessings as he preached at the peak, and I asked him, well, I asked him Steve, how's it going? Steve is one of the pastors at Strasburg where Brother Keith uh, vacated. And anyway, he said, I think we're doing pretty good. But he said, we are recognizing the many things that Brother Keith was involved in. And so they are really missing Brother Keith. Uh, and I think they're doing well. But continue to remember um, the Strasburg congregation, especially as they are mourning the loss of Brother Keith. I'd just like to say that at the onset of COVID several years ago, I was at the Union Valley Congregation in northeastern Pennsylvania for a week of meetings, and that area is infested with Histons. Now, the Histons are good people. Uh, but anyway, while I was there, um, I preached four sermons at that congregation, and in the middle of the series the governor of Pennsylvania and the congregation there in Pennsylvania, they terminated my contract and they sent me home. But while I was there, I was given a CD by the Histon Quartet. Um, and I had plenty of time to listen to this CD on the way home. And there was a song in that CD that just began to resonate in my head and my heart, and I played it over and over again. <clears throat> this, um, the theme of this CD is called Lord, Give Us a Vision, a Vision. And the song that was going over and resonating in my head was a song titled Called Out. And I don't know if you know this song or not, but there's a special lady here this morning that has traveled all the way from Harrisonburg, Virginia to help me sing a song. Uh, we'll do our best. If you all won't demand perfection, we'll try to sing it for you. Is that a deal? Yeah. All right, good. Sally, would you come up, please? Some of the timing on this song is a little, a little difficult, but we'll do our best uh, to sing this song for you. That is, if I can find the pitch pipe. Some folks I know by their name, some I just know their face. Some are known by their fame, others none by their race. But in the kingdom of our Lord, each soul has their place. And in my mind I have no doubt, by name we've been called out. And we've been called out. For a purpose called out To be a servant called out To lift a standard called out To raise the banner called out 
to be a witness called out to show forgiveness called out from this world child you've been called out within the prison walls that day the jailer bound up their feet stripped off their garments where they lay bleeding from where they were beat but long about midnight paul began to pray and silas started to sing the earth shook about doors swung open wide god said you've been called out and we've been called out for a purpose called out to be a servant called out to lift a standard called out to raise the banner called out to be a witness called out to show forgiveness called out from this world child you've been called out thank you there's five or six phrases in the course that I just really appreciate it, and I like to use those five or six um, phrases as points in the message this morning. And what you and I, what we've been called to, we've been called out of something, but we've been called into. And that's what the message is about this morning. Thank you. Yeah, I still get nervous too. <laughs> the title of the message, We've Been Called Out. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. God's Word reads this way, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter is the one who wrote these words, and from personal experience, Peter knew explicitly what it meant to be called out. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Mark 1, 16 and 17, Peter knew what it meant to be called out. Now as he, as Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Here's men who had a vocation of fishing for fish, and Jesus said, I'm going to begin a process to help you begin to fish for men. And it sounds like a process because it says, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become. That sounds like a process. But Peter was called out uh, to something new. And to fulfill this call in his life, 
Peter needed to lay some things aside. Number one, he needed to lay aside the security of a home. Secondly, he laid aside a good job and a financial stability. But more importantly, and for him and for you and me, Peter needed to lay aside his ability to make choices in life as he saw fit, and he needed to surrender his allegiance to another. And for you and I, brothers and sisters, to answer the call of God, there are some things that we're going to need to lay down. Some of you have already started that process, but we will need to lay down some things. But if you look here in this passage, notice the glorious transition from being called out of the world and called in to this family. It's a tremendous transition. I think if Brother Elam Heatwell would be here, he'd say, that's tremendous. He likes to say that. That's tremendous. Notice four different things of this calling. Being called from spiritual bondage to deliverance and freedom. From the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From being an outcast to identify within the family of God. And from one being condemned to death to being reconciled to God. That's tremendous. Praise His holy name. And brothers and sisters, it's more than being called out of something. But what gives life real purpose and meaning is what we are called to. That ye, what were they called to? Peter and you and I. That ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of His darkness into His marvelous light. That's why I say... I liked this CD, and I liked what especially was in that course. And we'll consider some of the phrases now in that course. Number one, we have been called out for a purpose. I've been impressed recently how important it is that our lives are motivated by a godly purpose. A godly purpose produces joy and vibrancy and fulfillment that is unattainable in what the world has to offer. You know, the vast majority of the 8 billion people that are living on planet Earth, they are living their lives outside of a concept of a creator, outside of a concept of his purpose for their life. People that believe that way, they feel like there are no moral absolutes. And what comes out of people that subscribe to that kind of a mentality? There is a lot of disillusionment. I talked about it a little bit last night. Some of you, of you were not here. I'll share briefly that it's my understanding that there are 132 suicides every day in the United States. For every suicide, there are people that try 25 times and are not, I hate to use the word successful, maybe the word completed would be better. But for every suicide, there are 25 attempts that are not completed. Just a horrible, a horrible loss of life. And why is it? It's because people do not have a purpose. Praise God! You have a purpose. Show forth His praises. We are blessed people. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 from the NIV. Therefore I... I, Paul, urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, and here's the purpose, 
to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So what standard did Peter live by? I'd like to consider what happened in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Acts chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. You know, this is following the healing of the impotent man. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied, denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereas ye are witnesses. Notice verse 16. And his name... Through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith in which he is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. If Peter would have wanted to, he could have claimed that I was really instrumental in helping this man to become well. And he pointed to the Lord Jesus that that was the power that made the difference. And you and I are called to that. Turn over a page or two to Acts 4, verses 8 to 10. How did he point to what happened? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and all unto you all and to all the people of Israel, by, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God hath raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter pointed to the true source of power and the difference made in the impotent man. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And brothers and sisters... People will have the, the opportunity likely to see you all and your love for the people in this community and they can take note that you have been with Jesus. Makes all the difference in the world. Praise God. What about other people? Were there some other people in Scripture who God had a specific purpose for their life? Let's look. What about Moses? Exodus chapter 3.10 what did God call Moses to do? Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. We're considering God's call. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God had a specific plan for Moses. What about Jeremiah? And I love this one. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Moving quickly, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Notice these words, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. That's amazing. 
And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I shall command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Don't you find it interesting? I do. That God knew Jeremiah before he was even conceived. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God had a specific plan before Jeremiah ever came to be. That's amazing to me. That's the omniscience, the sovereignty of our God. What about Paul? Did God have a specific purpose for him? Turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 15. And I love what God says here. But the Lord said unto him, said unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he, Paul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. God said, or Christ said that this man, Paul, is a chosen vessel. You mean the man who had persecuted the church and done all these evil things? And Jesus said, he's a chosen vessel. And brothers and sisters, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much evil you used to do in your life. God, I believe, Christ has a desire. And Christ would say of you that he's a chosen vessel to bring forth, to bear my name before many. I believe that each one of you here this morning, you are a chosen vessel. And God desires to make a difference in your life. I'll throw this one in yet if I could. There's a verse from the NIV that I really appreciate from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. In the King James, it says it this way, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. I don't have the NIV in front of me this morning, but I think it says, He that refreshes others himself also shall be refreshed. If you are happen to, happened to be going through a time of discouragement and depression, I believe... What God's Word says, look out beyond yourself and your own personal needs. What about people, a brother or sister in the church? He that refreshes others shall himself also be refreshed. And so I think that is a beautiful calling. We're, we're thinking about we're being called out for a purpose. God has a specific purpose for your life. Number two, We've been called out to be a servant. Where do we go for a beautiful example of servanthood? Obviously, one of the greatest is in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 4 to 8, where God's Word says this, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We have been called out to be a witness. I'm sorry, I jumped, I jumped ahead. We have been called out to be a servant. What did Jesus give up to serve mankind? Jesus gave up equality with the Father, at least for a time. Jesus gave up his reputation, it says here in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus gave up his residence in heaven. And Jesus was willing to be born of his own creation. And what was his purpose? He came to give his blood and his life for you and for me. Jesus had a purpose in life. Mark chapter 10, verse 43 to 45. I know we're looking through a good many scriptures, but I don't apologize for including scripture. Obviously, that's where power and strength comes from. Mark 10, 43 to 45. But so shall it be among you, but whosoever, but so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. But whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, what was his purpose? And to give his life a ransom for many. Some time ago, we had a minister's meeting, West Rockingham District meeting, if I remember right. And John Perfect from the Strasburg Congregation, he used these uh, verses, the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I'll read that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us, and as, as of the ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mystery of God. This word here, as ministers, speaks of being a servant of Christ. And he went on to say, as you think about being a servant, he said a servant would refer to under oarsmen. And under oarsmen would be those servants that go into the, the inner, the deepest part of the ship, and they row the ship to wherever the captain wants to go, serving the Lord. We are to be under oarsmen. We are to serve as God desires, as, the, as Jesus desires, wherever He wants to go. And I really like that, what He said about, about that, to be a servant. Luke 17, verse 10. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. Some time ago, I heard a story of a man named Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce was one of the founders of World Vision. And it's my understanding that at one point in his life, toward the end of his life, he had traveled to Indonesia, and while he was there, he met up with a colleague, 
and they were walking along a river. And when they got to the river, they happened to see on ahead that there was a young lady, uh, a native lady that was there beside this river, and she seemed to be writhing in pain, and she was calling out something, and he didn't understand her language. And he told his colleague, he asked him, what's she saying? What is she saying? And the colleague said, she has cancer, and her last desire was that she could go out and die along the edge of the river. It's a place that she found peace. And Bob Pierce was so overtaken with what was happening to this, this young lady that he got down in the mud and it, on his knees and he grabbed her hand and he began to pray to God and to intercede for this woman. And he was so taken, he did not even know her. And yet, his heart of compassion welled up with the need. It's my understanding also that Bob Pierce reached into his pocket and he got a pocket, he got a bottle of pills. Now, to help you understand the sacrifice, Bob Pierce had leukemia. And the pills that Bob Pierce pulled out of his pocket were pills that he needed so he could get some sleep at night. And yet, Bob Pierce took the pills, and I think there were 10 pills in the bottle, and he gave all of them to his colleague, and he said, here, he said, you make sure that this young lady gets some rest and some relief from, from her misery. And he gave all he had. And that's a reminder that Jesus gave all he had for your comfort and for mine. So I submit that true love, true sacrifice will cost you something. It did Jesus, and it will us. We have been called out to be a servant. Number three, we have been called out to raise a standard. And I'm reminded of a good sermon we heard some time ago by my co-pastor, Dave Miller. He preached a, t a sermon titled, What Flag Are You Flying?, and it was a very good sermon. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today, they're not ashamed to identify with a sports team or some organization that they identify with. They don't mind to wear an Aeropostale t-shirt or a North Face jacket or wear a pair of Oakleys. Now, these are not Oakleys, but whatever. Or maybe they would show you that, what time is it? And they make a big... Oh, yes, it's 20 minutes till 12 as they look at their Rolex, their Rolex watch. A lot of people don't mind to identify with the world. But what are we called to identify with? As my neighbors observe my life, is there a complete agreement between what I profess on Sunday morning and the life that I live through the week? Am I transparent before God and men? What should be our purpose in life? Matthew 5 tells us what should be one of the purposes in our life. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. God's Word reads this way. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel 
but on a candlestick, and it giveth forth light unto all them that are in the house. Verse 16, your purpose, my purpose, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Sounds a lot like the text verse that we had just a moment ago. Thinking about the gospel, you know, if I would ask you how many gospels there are, you would probably say, well, there's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's my understanding that the world says there's five gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian. And a lot of times they don't take the time to read the first four. So what are they reading? They're reading your life. What gospel are they seeing in your life, in my life? How is it that we can convince others of the depths of Christ's love? First by experience and second by applying to others what we ourselves have experienced. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That is following through doing the commandments. Brothers and sisters, we have been called out to lift a banner. Number four, we have been called out to be a witness. What does it mean to be called out to be a witness for Christ? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. I don't know if I'm going to read quite all these verses. Acts chapter 1, thinking about being called to be a witness. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, I'd like to drop on down to verse 8. Let's do verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. These men were called to be witnesses. It's my understanding that the word witness in the Greek New Testament um, is the word martus. The word martus means to literally and figuratively, literally or figuratively to be a martyr, to give their life. And you know the ten disciples, they were asked to give their life for the Lord Jesus. Everything that we have or everything we are needs to be surrendered to His Lordship. I'd like to tell a story that I heard some time ago. I would like to ask... How many of you know 
Don and Betty Heatwall from South Carolina. Okay, quite a number. It's my understanding that a couple of years ago, Don and Betty were on a mission trip. And I'm trying to think, I think they went to Iraq. And while they were there in Iraq, they were going through security, they were going through immigration. And the, the lines there, there was a line for the ladies and there was a line for the men. And so Don and Betty got separated as they began to go through this, this immigration line. And how would you feel, you ladies? Put yourself in Betty's shoes. How would you all feel if you were separated from your husband, you were, was in a foreign country and you was going through this immigration? How unsettling would that be? It's my understanding that as Betty got up finally to the lady officer, the lady officer looked at her and she said, Are you a Christian? And I don't know what all went through her mind, but she said, yes, I am. I'm a Christian. And the lady officer said, I am too, and gave her a big hug. But my point is this. Betty was willing to put her life on the line. She was willing to be a witness. In essence, it could have been as a martyr. She didn't know how, what was going to happen when she got asked that question. Are you a Christian? What would happen? But she said she was, and she was blessed for her answer. How would you have answered in a foreign country, maybe in a Muslim place, if you were asked if you was a Christian, how would you respond? Are you willing to be a witness? Are you willing to be a martyr, dead or living, for the Lord Jesus? The last one that I'd like to consider, we have been called out to be to show forgiveness. Once again, the classic passage that I think of is in Matthew chapter 18, where the landowner went out and he found a man that owed him a great sum that he could never repay. And the man asked him, he pled with him, please forgive me. And the man, the landowner, forgave him. And you know how that he went out very shortly, and he found a man that owed just a few dollars, and he went out to wring his neck, and he said, pay me what you owe me. And the landowner, he was grieved with the response of the man that had been forgiven so much. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, do we extend forgiveness to others to the same extent that we have received it from Christ? Christ's standard is the one that we need to go back to Some years ago, there was a serviceman from the United States. His name was Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was shot down over the South Pacific in the Second World War. And he drifted for 47 days in a raft. He battled hunger. And there was another man or two that was along with him. They battled hunger. They battled thirst. They battled shark, they battled fear, and there were Japanese pilots that were strafing their, their raft with bullets. And to imagine, how could things get any worse? But they drifted for 47 days, and they came to an island, and here it was 
an island that was in charge or taken over by the, the Japanese. And there was, so he was taken in as a prisoner of war. And there was a Japanese officer there. His name was Watanabe. I'm not Japanese, okay? This Japanese officer, Watanabe, he took pleasure in making Louis's life as miserable as he could, and he did. Louis consoled himself with the thoughts of going back after the war, going back to Japan and killing that man. He had nightmares, and he had PTSD, and he was drinking, and his life was a mess. But in 1949, Billy Graham had a tent set up in Los Angeles for a three-week revival. And that three weeks stretched into eight weeks. Don't think y'all had it so bad this week. I won't be here for eight weeks. You're glad and I'm glad. But Louis' wife begged him, please take me to the meetings, Billy Graham seminar. And Louis refused. And I kind of get the picture. And she pled and came, asked him time after time. It sounds kind of like Samson's wife. After a while, he had enough and he consented. Well, I'll take you. But he said, if I remember right in the story, he said that when, when Billy Graham gets up and he calls people to prayer, we're out of there. But it was in this tent that Louis had a flashback to his experience on the raft. He remembered a promise that he had made to God. If you save me from this experience, I'll serve you forever. And Louis ended up in that campaign giving his heart to the Lord. What change, you reckon, came over that man who was determined to kill his tormentor? Louis crafted a letter of forgiveness and he took it with him to Japan. He requested to meet with his tormentor and he was denied that privilege Watanabe died a bitter man. But this man had peace. We were talking about peace today. He had peace because he had offered, he did the best he could. I have two stories I'd like to tell you yet. I think forgiveness is so huge, so large. Allow me to share these with you. Some years ago, there was there were several young men in a, in a conservative church, Bichiami's church, maybe, I'm not sure, but these, these three young men, they thought and thought, what can we do to irritate our bishop? They thought, I know what, let's go out in the dark, let's go out in the field and get some huge rocks. We're going to take these huge rocks and we're going to put it in the back of the buggy and see if we can irritate this old bishop. They haven't done that to you, have they? <laughs> Josh? <laughs> okay. But anyway, God is faithful. The Holy Spirit is faithful. After many years, this young man who had committed this deed thought, I really need to go and be reconciled with my bishop. So he went to the bishop and he apologized. He said, I was one of those young men that, that filled up your buggy with all these rocks. And the bishop responded like this. He said, you know what? The night that that happened, I forgave you, men, you young men for putting those rocks in my buggy. 
I'm sorry you had to carry this burden all these years. Forgiveness. And a sadder story is one. There were two sisters that as they grew up, their lives became estranged. And one of them got to the point where she was on her bed, uh, deathbed, I'm assuming, in, in the hospital. And her sister thought, I need to go. We need to be reconciled. And so she did. She went to the hospital and she asked her sister, you know, I'm sorry for our relationship and how it used to be or how it has been. And I'd like to reconcile knowing that her sister was on her deathbed. And her sister said, nothing doing. Is that serious? Well, let's see what God's Word has to say about it. Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So how is it? How serious is it if we withhold forgiveness to someone who asks? And by the way, you need to forgive them anyway, whether they ask or not. Because Jesus forgave those tormentors that they were piercing His hand inside. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It didn't release the soldiers from their guilt, but it released Jesus to love. And we need to forgive whether people come to or not. It's my understanding that some years ago that there was a company in the United States that had some toxic waste that they wanted to get rid of. And they thought, I know what let's do. Let's go out here and let's big, dig a big hole. And we'll take this toxic waste, we'll put it in some barrels, we'll put it in under the ground and we'll be shut of it. Cover it back up. Well, it wasn't too long to the, the toxic waste ate holes in the barrels and it seeped back to the surface and there was a lot of groundwater and vegetation that was polluted because they thought they could get rid of this toxic waste. And I can't give it to you verbatim, but I saw something recently that said something like this. Bitterness is a toxic... Let's see. I said it's not verbatim. Bitterness is, is so toxic that it more, does more damage to the container it... Um, that holds it than on who it can be uh, dispersed or something. Now, I'm sorry, that is a really poor rendition. I wish I'd have written that in my notes. But we know, all of us know, that bitterness is a toxic waste. It does more to us than it does on whoever we can disperse it to. And so remember that. I would like to close with uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 to 17, thinking about... I know we've taken a little more time on this forgiveness issue, but it's a very important issue, forgiveness. God has called us to forgive. Hebrews 12, 15 to 17. Wherefore, lay up the hands 
Lift up the hands which hang down in feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, you and I have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. For what purpose? That you would show forth and that you would demonstrate His praises to a lost and a dying world. There are a lot of people in our world today who in essence, they're asking the same question that Pilate asked. What is truth? Where can they go to find truth? Brothers and sisters, just like on this CD on the course, you and I have been called out for a purpose. We've been called to be a servant. We've been called to lift up a standard. We've been called to be a witness. And we have been called to show forgiveness. May God help you and I to that end. I submit to you that it's God's desire that you and I would be a conduit of His grace. May God help you to that end. Shall we have a song? For this.